God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What's the most ridiculous promise someone's made to you? I'm sure you all can think of one promise that really stands out that you thought, after they made the promise, it's impossible for them to really carry it out and to fulfill their word to you. I think every single one of us has one of those promises. You see, we, we each are the recipients of promises throughout our lives, but it's those big ones that really stick out and stick in our mind, and we wonder sometimes why we even believe these big promises. It's interesting to see how our leaders in our country make promises and how we gauge how successful or how good they are at keeping promises it's almost as if any politician, any leader, even for our city, who steps up and makes promises, we never assume that they're going to fulfill all the promises. We, we just ask, how, how many are they going to keep? Are they going to keep the majority of them, or are they going to break all of them completely? And we're satisfied with that because we know promises are sometimes hard to keep. And certainly our leaders, who we elect... Certainly they have good intentions, they want what's good for us, but so often the good that they offer and the good that they hope for their communities and cities and countries ends up being harder than what they anticipated. And so we're kind of comfortable knowing some promises are going to be broken. We kind of adapt our lives to that. We, we live the just-in-case kind of life where we hope for the promise to actually come true, but we live as if it's not going to happen. Because if it doesn't happen, as it happens to not happen so often, if it doesn't happen, then we're left just broken and lost and having to pick up the pieces. And so we kind of live in this society where we live just in case. Could you imagine how it would change our lives if everyone kept their promises. Our lives would be different, completely different. We could rely on people and rely much less on ourselves. Well, God, through Jesus today, makes promises. Very much like our leaders, Jesus stands up before his people and he makes promises to them because when he looks around, he sees that there's something that shouldn't be. He sees sin and a culture and, and a time where everything seems to be falling apart and things aren't going well and we see all the bad things that happen in this world and he knows it shouldn't be that way. And so he stands up to a young man or a young believer named Nicodemus and he makes him a promise. And it's actually a very big promise that he makes. It's a promise that what's happening in this world, he will solve. This is what we start reading at verse 14 in John chapter 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We recognize the world is broken. 
We recognize a sin in our own lives, the sin around us. We recognize how, how people's minds somehow conceive that it's good to carry out violence towards other people and hate other people and not care for each other as a society. We recognize that's all there, and we've tried to solve it as a society, and it never works. We have all these slogans, just slogans, love each other, and yet, as much as we say, it just never works. And so Christ comes, and he says, I'm going to make you a promise. Believe in me, and I'll make it better. One of the worst things we see in life is the thing that we've gotten used to. Death. We're so terrified when people die, and maybe before they're supposed to die, or die in a way that they're not supposed to, and yet we always neglect to remember and meditate on the worst thing, death. Each one of our families, each one of our families and friends face that same thing, and we come to grow to just live like it's no ordinary. So Christ comes and he says, it's not. I will give you something. I'm promising you to give you something that is life. Even though you die, you will live. And if you believe in me, all this happens. And if God just sent his son like a rescue worker, down to grab us out of this world and take us away, we would maybe believe him. And, but yet, when we look at this promise, we see a promise that is really hard to believe. We see a promise that we might call outrageous. Because God didn't just send his son to wipe out all the bad in the world and pick us up out of this world and bring us into heaven. Instead, he sent his son in a very specific way, a very shocking way, that causes us to step back and wonder, how would he possibly give this promise? And he hints at it in verse 14. So he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So in the Old Testament lesson, you heard about the snakes in Israel. They complained and they groaned against God, even though God was caring for them and loving them. And so God sent them snakes, poisonous snakes, to infest the camp. And whenever someone was bit, they would die. And so the people turned to Moses and said, you've got to do something about it. And Moses turned to God and said, what are we going to do about it, God? And God said, make a bronze serpent, put it on a stick, and lift it up in front of everyone. And when they look at that serpent, if they were bit by a snake, they'll be healed. That's outrageous. Right? There's no way that should work. The, you see, that the Israelites were out in the desert. They, they had no means to, to heal themselves. There was no hospital. There was no anti-venom. This was the only way in which was promised that they would be healed, but it made no sense. How does looking at a snake remove poison and heal you? 
And yet you look at the promise and you see the result. Those people who looked at that serpent after being bitten were healed. And those who didn't were not. Outrageous promise. But even though it was outrageous, it was a promise fulfilled. And that's the very thing that Christ is talking about here in this passage. You see, you and I were bit by this, this sin snake, infected with sin. There was no hope for us. Like the Israelites, we were out in the desert by ourselves, and certainly we were trying to find a solution to death and to, to sin and to hate and to violence. We're trying to find a solution, but we never can as hard as we try. And so God comes and gives us this promise an outrageous promise. Because Jesus wouldn't just come down, float on clouds, and pull us up out of this earth. Jesus would come and be raised up. And not in a sense that he's going to be honored by the world. He'd be raised up on the cross to die for our sins. And Jesus says and promises, you look to that cross and believe in that cross and you will have eternal life. Your sins are forgiven. I will give you the life, the glory that you were made to have. And we step back and we think, how is that possible? How is that possible that we look on a dead man for our life? How is that possible that, that one man dying pays for this, the life and, and death of the whole world. How is it possible? And we can't rationalize it. We can't think it. But we see just what Christ has done. Just like that serpent that has been raised up in the desert, so too I will be raised up. Look at me and you will live. I always wonder if God gave salvation in a different way, if there would be more believers. If God said to the world, I want you to travel 10,000 miles for my salvation, for your salvation, I think people would want to do that. They, they want to do something for their salvation. If God said, you have to climb to the highest mountain for your salvation, I, I think they would, would do that. But here God gives something completely ridiculous and outrageous. There's nothing you do for your salvation. I'm going to do it all. It's going to be done through me dying on the cross for you. And when we begin to see and understand what that is, we see it's the only way. It's the only way that we can be healed from sin and death. It's the only way that we have life. And yet it goes on, starting at verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because of their evil deeds. Everyone who hates, hates the light will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So it may be seen plainly that what has been done has been done through God. Here's the thing about this promise. It means we're exposed. 
You know why people would want to travel 10,000 miles for their salvation versus believing in Christ? So they don't have to be exposed. So they don't have to step into the light and see themselves for who they really are. They would rather hide in darkness and trying to find their own way for salvation than, than freely receive Christ's grace and forgiveness of sins. Why? Because they love their wickedness. They love their evil. This promise is outrageous. And it's even hard for us, too. Because we don't see God giving people life after death. We don't see it with our eyes. We can't see God coming down in a chariot and, and, and picking up our loved ones in death and bringing them back to heaven. We don't see it. We don't see the glory that God says that we, we have. And it's almost as if the promise isn't complete. We live waiting for it to be, be complete. But that's our perspective. There God is, and he sees it all. He sees it complete. He sees the life that we've been given after our death. He sees the peace that he's given even in this troubled world. He sees it all. He says, it's because you looked to the most outrageous big promise. This man who died on the cross. And he even gives us a, a nugget of assurance. That man who died on the cross, three days later, he rose. Already we see the promise and fulfillment. Nothing could keep back those who are in Christ. They couldn't keep back Christ, and so his promises are fulfilled over and over again, even though they are ridiculous, even though we don't understand them, even though they don't make sense. This is a promise we can rely on. It's easy for us, though, to live that just-in-case kind of life. We know the promise that's been given. We know that Jesus died on the cross and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we go living our lives the same way that every single person in this world does, just in case. Because we realize our eternal life hinges on that one promise. If God's wrong, then we get nothing at all. So just in case, just in case I'll store up worldly wealth for myself, just in case I will enjoy the pleasures of this world, just in case. But here's the one promise that is not a just-in-case promise. Consider, if we lived and believed God's promises completely, how it would change our lives. How would it change us? That, that we can rely on, on God for every single thing and not think in our minds that oh, we have to work for every single thing. And it's our duty to find every single thing. God provides it. This isn't just in case. This is real. So how do we make this real? To, to, to live out that promise, even though we don't see it, even though we still see the world as it is, deteriorating, broken as it is, how do we live 
believing God's promise completely by trusting his word. By examining our lives and seeing the just-in-case parts of it, the times where we don't trust God completely and putting it aside. Why? Because it's God. He gave it not just with good intentions. He, he didn't just give it because he, he felt bad for us. He gave it and he loved us when he gave it. And not only that, but he's powerful to give it. God could do absolutely everything and anything. And we would believe God if he told us, go walk 10,000 miles. And here he says, look to Christ and live. That changes how we act. That changes what we do. That changes our focus and puts it right on God where it belongs. So in everything you do, consider this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's a promise God makes. God doesn't break his promises. Amen? Please stand. We continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed, printed for you on the bottom of page 5 in your bulletin. We confess. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.